A-leg women comes to a thrilling regular season conclusion with a um, nil-all draw. Western Sydney show up in a derby if they're now going to win the league. Perth get home. The Leichhardt Oval pitch is muddy. The old firm, if we're allowed to call it that, is coming down under. And the host of the biggest A-league club podcast breaks it all down for us. My name's Harper Pestinger, and this is the KickCast. After that very rushed intro, there's lots to break down this week, and to do just, do just that is what, in my humble opinion, is the Avengers of football podcast panels. Absolute all-star lineup we've got here. First up, Pat Bruschetto. Pat, which Avenger do you want to be in our lineup today? Uh, four. Chris Hemsworth, quite a good-looking bloke, so I'm hoping <laughs> I can channel some of that energy coming into the pod. Spinning <laughs> oh, image. Chris wishes he had your looks, but next up, uh, Lucas Ronaldo. You heard his voice there. He's here too. Lucas, you're here just about every week. I feel like probably ever-present, bit of an Iron Man type. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, although I, I think I'm someone who can't um, – I've just taken my first little production role of the podcast because Harper couldn't hear the intro. Um, and I think he spoke over about 10 seconds of music. So I'm just going to pull down the veil there. That was my fault. If there was any mistakes, don't blame Harper. Or Wog Thor. <laughs> <laughs> or any of the other podcast members. <laughs> and also on the show today, for the first bit of tonight, is Kieran Yap. Kieran, it's very good to see you. Uh, it's good to see that you actually do exist and you're not just someone who does a, a monologue every every week. Uh, so thanks for coming on, mate. Which superhero would you like to be? I think uh, tonight I'm more like Samuel L. Jackson. If I'm going to be an Avenger, I just sort of drift in, make an impact, and then um, drift out again. So... Yeah, I'll be always having a Jackson. Beautiful, mate. Also, Nick Fury. also on the show is very, very special guest. If if we're Marvel, this guy is probably Spider Man, and for fuck's sake, he's Sony because he's sharing himself and his football analyzing superpowers all around. Dave Sahoy, how are you? Very good, Harper, gentlemen. Uh, thanks for having me on. Uh, I'm very afraid of getting my DC and Marvel universes mixed up, but I'm probably the oldest and fattest on the panel, so I'll probably go with the Hulk. Um, yeah, not sure if that's in the right uh, family of comic book stars, but yeah, big, big uh, warm thanks to you guys for having me on and looking forward to the chat. Yeah, I'm no expert, mate, but I think you've got it just about bang on there, Hulk. I think he's part of Marvel Universe, but you know what? Uh, Kieran's called himself the Samuel L. Jackson uh, of this little <laughs> Avengers team we've got here. So, Mr. Jackson, we'll start with you because the A-League women's regular season is just about done and dusted. I think we've got one game left, but it doesn't really matter. Uh, so we're ready to get into some finals action and Melbourne victory. They've managed to scrape, scrape their way in there, haven't they? Yeah, they've done really well, actually, because they've had one of the hardest um, hardest schedules of the, the football frenzy where they've basically played every three days for the for the month. And they've had injuries, they've had problems with um with team selections, and um they've had millionaires, their star striker basically been unavailable for the whole season. So they've really done well to get into fourth position. It's a real credit to the players that they've had available and um Jeff Hopkins. Yeah, absolutely. Of course, uh, the victory drew nil all with Canberra on Friday to uh, nip Perth Glory's finals chances in the bud. But something else I think we should touch on is Brisbane Raw. Uh, I'm a bit of an outsider on this, but. I can see that in their last three outings, they've beaten Melbourne City in Melbourne. And then mm. in the last two games, they've put nine past Newcastle. So yeah. and they, they haven't made finals. How does that work? How are they not a finals team? Brisbane, um, uh, every year there's basically a team in the, in the, in the dub in the A-League women's that, um, that sort of gets, their, gets used to the t- competition and gets into form. 
a little too late. And if it was a longer season, that wouldn't really matter. But because the season's so short, if you don't really click in the first few weeks, you can be playing catch up. And that's what's happened to them. They're basically a really good NPL side, a really, really, really good NPL side that's been put in the um the A League. And um it's just taking a bit of time to adjust really. And also because they've they've played a whole NPL season right before it. So yeah, they've adjusted. It's just taken them a little while. And um yeah, hopefully they can stay together for next season because I think they've got some real talent still. And this, I think this went way over most people's heads, but there's a new final system that's going to be in place, right? Yeah. Yeah, it is. Um, they've, they've revamped it so that the finishing one and two actually gives you more than just a home ground advantage. Gives you the second chance now. So um, Adelaide and Melbourne victory will play off as third versus fourth, and then Sydney and Adel- uh, Melbourne City will play, and the loser of that game will play the winner of Adelaide and Melbourne victory. So uh, the top two get a second chance and the bottom two have to play an extra game to make the grand final. Okay, gotcha. That makes sense. And how, how do you see these finals playing out? Uh, they're going to kick me out of Victoria if I give Adelaide any more love, but uh, I just think there's a bit of um, inevitability about them. They're really good. Um, they're, they're, they've got a lot of confidence about them. Um, they've got a lot of talent. They've got a lot of flair. And they just play really aggressive football and they don't really take the boot off from the first minute to the last. And they should have really gotten a draw against Sydney. So, um, yeah, I just think if they get past victory, they'll they'll bulldoze whoever they come up against next as well. Do you think as well with having gone so long without a finals appearance and especially it's been pretty much the same team, this United team's been together forever. Do you reckon – I feel like it's just going to mean that they're sort of a bit more – Pardon the pun, United, that they're all, all yeah. pushing together because it's like they've been waiting for this. Yeah, it's basically they've come up through the youth youth teams together and they've come up through before the youth teams even. They've just been together for that long, like you said. And they only just missed out last season by one goal in goal difference for making the finals. And the whole mantra this year has been goal difference. Just smash as many goals through as you can so that, that doesn't happen again. And they're just riding this huge wave of momentum. And you could sort of tell against Sydney that they didn't really – they didn't really care if they got to draw a win as the longer the game went on. But at the start, they were really pressing Sydney to take the lead and they were really unlucky not to do that. So, yeah, I think you're right. There's a lot of momentum behind them and they're, they're really keen to do it as, as a unit before, while they're still together. And Sydney, obviously, uh, back-to-back premiers this season and Melbourne City finishing second. Are those two the favourites or do you see Adelaide kind of coming up and make, maybe making the grand final? I reckon Adelaide, now that Melbourne City don't have Holly McNamara um, after a really sad injury, I think Adelaide now have just a bit more attacking talent than, than Melbourne City. They have more more options, basically. City still have Hannah Wilkinson and they have Rihanna Polizino, who I think has been one of the players of the year. But that's two players and Adelaide have more, more, more threats, basically. So I think if they play each other, Adelaide will win. When it comes down to Sydney, though, they're just such a well-organised, well-drilled, very even team and they have so many options on the bench. So. In a one-off game, I still think anyone can beat anyone, but Adelaide and Sydney seem like the teams to beat to me. And has the final schedule come out yet? Because I haven't seen it. Not just yet, nah. Okay, right, cool. Um, yeah, Nothing in probably, the inbox anyway. Yeah, <laughs> that probably explains why I haven't seen it then. But um, since we've got you on here properly as part of the little uh, Zoom crew we've got going on here, I'd love to pick your brain a bit and get a bit of a regular season review yep. from you, Kieran, mate. So I know there's one game left, but... Yeah, I don't. It's Brisbane Canberra. I don't imagine that's going to make any seismic shifts in your opinion of the, how the regular season went. So, uh, my first question for you is: Who's been your surprise packet of this season so far? Adelaide, really. Um, no one thought they were going to make the finals. They lost a lot of good players last season, and uh, like they lost Mallory Weber. They lost um, 
Charlie Grant. Uh, Dylan Holmes wasn't there for the first half of the season. They just lost a lot of talent. No one really thought they could challenge for finals this year. They just didn't seem to have have replaced them. But um, credit to Adrian Stenter, he replaced them, kept everyone else improved too. So they've just been a real, real surprise this year to do as well as they have. Best signing of the season? Uh, Rihanna Politzina. Um She was pretty good for Newcastle. She was more of a highlights real player. She's a, a futsal prodigy and a superstar at that level, but... She just sort of scored a few special goals for Newcastle but didn't dominate games. This season, she's just gone to another level and um, at different points of the season, City have been missing players. She's always been there and she's just sort of dragged them across the line a lot of times just with individual brilliance. She can just assist out of nothing and score out of nothing. She's a phenomenal playmaker and striker. I've got to take the limelight off you for just a sec here because Pat Braschetto in the top left of my screen, he's demanded that he gets to answer this specific question. <laughs> so, Pat Braschetto, what do you have to say about the most underwhelming team of this A-League women's season? Well, I think you can apply it to both this season and maybe many seasons in the past, but I think it's got to be the Western Sydney Wanderers, really. It was that the club made a very big deal in hyping up and promoting the season beforehand. They had um, Catherine Canooley, the I think the foundation captain as their coach. They made a really big, a big fuss about and a lot of noise about how this season they were going to get into the finals for the second time. And well, they've just fallen completely flat. They've won what one or two games this season. Have just been wholly unimpressed. I think I've even seen on um, Twitter one of the women's football correspondents they. Keeps on tweeting um, all of the uh, different individual players that have scored more goals than the Western Sydney Wanderers. So I think that really sums <laughs> yeah. up their plight this season. So, yeah. I had that in my notes too. Western Sydney were, were the biggest surprise packages being underwhelming. They, um, yeah, a lot of big things were expected of them. And they, they, they sort of had momentum in the last season and just it just fell flat this year for them. Dave, you got your hand up there? Yeah, it's been a, a roller coaster season, if I may interject, from a, a VUC perspective. The, the VUC women, or the WUC as we've been calling them on our podcast anyway, obviously the, the, the Midas touch of, of Jeff Hopkins from last season and all the adversity in, in, a, in, a, in a season of shit, really, when, when it comes to the club as a whole and where we were going. Um, it's been a roller coaster. So, you know, there was that period where you know, clean sheets and, and, consistently winning and then a really bad patch and lots of adversity uh, for Hopkins to deal with throughout, you know, a couple of season-ending injuries. So, yeah, it'll be interesting to see if he can get the, the magic uh, happening again for a final season that we've just scraped over the line. But, uh, yeah, really enjoyed uh, Kieran's insights there on the league as a whole. Yeah, Melbourne victory, like you said, scraped in on goal difference in fourth place ahead of Perth and the Wanderers who we were talking about before. One win from 14 games this season. They've scored seven goals, which is not great at all uh, in their 14 games. Finished in ninth. But Kieran, back to you, player of the season. Uh, it's it's a tough one. I think um, probably Courtney Vine was really good early on and then to the back end of the season, Fiona Wurtz just took over the league. But I think all through the season, uh, Melissa Barbieri for, for Melbourne City has been, been just a rock. She's been consistent every game in goals. She wasn't expected to play at all. She was supposed to be sort of a mentor figure to uh, Sally James, who's only 17 years old. So 42-year-old Bubs had to step in when, when she broke her thumb, and she's just been phenomenal. She's been amazing. She, she has this really easy distribution from the back. She sort of chips defenders. I mean, uh, strikers when they're pressing her. She's just so cool and calm in goals and makes spectacular saves. So I think overall, if City didn't have bubs, I don't know if they'd be in second position. So she's the player of the year for me. Game of the season, Kieran. Uh, Going to go sentimental here. I think Wellington Phoenix's first win. Um, 
beating Canberra 3-0, that's probably the, the game of the season, just because Canberra aren't easy beats. They haven't won a lot of games, but they still have a lot of talent. And Wellington was sort of getting better every week, and that culminated in that game. And they didn't just sort of just beat Canberra or get lucky and beat Canberra. They smashed them. They just they just attacked the whole game, and 3-0 was reflective of the way they played. Maybe Canberra deserved a goal, but Wellington deserved the win. So that was an awesome game to watch. Yeah, Wellington did end up finishing bottom. Canberra in seventh. Uh, the only two games they won were, have been in their last four games. They've still got a game to come, which may or may not have been played against Brisbane when you listen to this. But finally, for you, Kieran, before we let you go, there's been lots of talk about the APL and Paramount Plus and Channel 10's treatment of the A-League women this season. Big changes in how it's all been run. What have you made of it and taken out of it? It's been better than Fox. Uh don't know how much that's saying, um, but I mean, there's there's things that are good about it. Like it's in high def, all the games are in high definition. And if you go back and look at highlights from when it was at Foxtel, it wasn't, and it was really ordinary, and you can barely make out anybody who's not in close up. Um, there's been they did sort of promise initially. I thought it felt like they promised that there was going to be pre match panels for every game. That hasn't really transpired, and I think that would be a really good thing to help grow the game because. Pretty much panels help inform casual viewers who they're watching and what to look out for. But when they have had panels on, they've had really good ones. So um, Chloe Legazzo has been injured from the Matilda, so she's been jumping in at Channel 10. She's been really good. A um, lot of really good insights from her. And their special comments have been really good too to go along the match callers. They've had um, Georgie Yeoman-Dale um, and they've had um, – oh, someone's name escapes me now. Grace Gill has been really good. And um, Leah Blaney, who's the Matilda, young Matilda's coach, has been um, – Really good. She, she, you learn things when you listen to her too. The special commentary. You don't just see what's on the screen. You sort of learn why the coaches are doing certain things and why the players are doing things and why they could do things better. She's um been really good. So Paramount, there's a lot of room to improve, but I don't know. I don't know if it's that much different from the men's. Um, rewind, pause, that sort of thing. Um, they could do the the mini matches a little bit quicker, but hopefully they get all these things out, these things ironed out in the near future because um there's still a lot of potential there in what they've got and it is improving slightly on Fox. I think um, the, like you mentioned, that is pretty similar to to the men's. I think that's actually probably one of the best things that Paramount's done is that it seems like they're giving a similar level of interest to both the men's and women's. Yeah, the coverage is probably not enough on either, but. (laughs) No. (laughs) I mean, there was one, one hiccup late in the season where they couldn't broadcast a game because the venue was changed late and mm. uh, everyone was sort of tuning into Teo Pelletzeri's, um voice memos on Twitter, um, which was a pretty fun way to follow the game in the end. But, <laughs> I mean, that was that was a bad, bad spot. But other than that, teething problems that the men's game have had and um, they really do need to have a pre-match panel. But apart from that, I think they're better than what Foxtel were, definitely. It's good to hear, mate. Uh, just about wraps us up uh, for what we want to get out of you for in terms of the women's stuff. So, Kieran, thank you very, very much for your time, mate. Love your analysis as always. Uh, we'll let you go lead your busy life for the rest of this evening and thanks for coming on. <laughs> thanks for having me. I'll listen to the rest of the show. Thanks, guys. Appreciate it, mate. Thank you. Now, moving on from the A-League women, uh, the Sydney Derby happened on Saturday night to not a whole lot of fanfare. So, Pat, your Wanderers, they won 2-0. You finally got some positive stuff to talk about. So tell me, what did you take out of this uh, non-fanfarious derby? <laughs> Look, I've got to say, the Wanderers are good. It was their most complete performance of the season so far. But I think, in all seriousness, as much as I'd love to wax lyrical about my beloved Western Sydney Wanderers all night, what was more telling for me is just how poor... Sydney FC were is 
They only had six shots all game. That, that is a season low for them. And obviously, Sydney's problems this season have been, they've created a lot of chances, but they haven't converted them. But obviously, as you just saw with that stat, they created nothing on Saturday night. They were a shell of what we've seen them in previous seasons. And as I said, the Wonder, it was a complete performance from the Wanderers. But I think the most damning thing is they didn't have to work hard for it at all, really. They had... Um, Tommy Michella made his debut alongside Philip Kankar. They weren't really tested too much all night. I mean, the Wanderers, their attack their attack was good. It, it's showing the promising improvement that it has under Rudin. But the thing is, they didn't have to do amazing things. Like, Rudin didn't really have to pull off a tactical masterclass to open up Sydney's defence. I mean, you saw the two goals. It was a pretty clumsy challenge from Donaghy, even though there's not much contact. it's There's, there's probably not enough of VAR to overrule it. And then you've got probably the smallest player on the pitch out jumping three Sydney players off a corner. So it's just not, it It wasn't really a, you know, the Wanderers didn't have to do a whole lot to beat them. I think that is really, really damning on Sydney's part. But it's a massive win for Mark Rudin because I'm sure as we may touch on in a sec, it was his first game after getting a permanent contract, which came to the surprise of many people on Friday afternoon. I think it's a bit of a, vindication for him or maybe it just kind of shows to those who are downing him when the announcement came to like look see this is what I've done in the short time I'm here so it's an important win for him it's obviously a massive win for the Wanderers because they were in a bit of a bump of form and look it's going to be very interesting to see where both teams go from here especially Sydney because they have only won two of their last 10 games three losses in a row there i I've got to say, I'm really surprised not more is being made in media circles about Steve Corrick at the moment, because I think he's in going beginning to become under quite a lot of pressure at the moment. Well, I guess in response to that, the, the only thing that uh, is keeping Corrick's feet out of the fire at the moment is probably the credits he has in the bank. And I think you know, with the, the schedule that they have um, at the moment, uh, it will just mean that the next few results, potentially the magnifying glass may be out just and a bit more criticism might creep in. I'm noticing some of their fans are starting to get agitated. Um, they're not used to this scenario of, of, of late. So, But, yeah, I think it's purely down to the fact that, you know, when you've got those credits in the bank, uh, you tend to earn some more patience. Yeah, Lucas, just continuing on Sydney FC, no teams played more games than their 16, but their only goal difference uh, in finals above seventh, and they're, they're winless in five as well. So, yeah, Lucas, do you reckon Steve Corrick is just an absolute fraud who should be sacked immediately? <laughs> uh, can I just say yes, just for the just for the reaction? <laughs> um, that up. I think I think um, uh, I think Dave's bang on there, I, and I think of the thing for me is for most of this season I've been thinking, all right, this is just them being a bit stale. Eventually they're going to kick on and turn a few of these. They've had so many draws, especially at home, and turn a few of these draws into wins. But it seems like they're just in a bit of a rut. Um, and the other thing with with um, Sydney is their, their midfield on the weekend, I just don't think it works at all. I think Barbarous has, has been up, up at the races. He comes straight back in. I, I'm not a big fan of Caceres as one of a, a, a two, um, um, playing a bit deeper. And then I think once you've got Ninkovic, who obviously is fantastic, in there, and then I, ju- I just don't think there's much 
cohesion in the team as as much as we've seen in previous previous years and a few of the players that for so long they've relied, relied on their individual uh, individual ability like Ninkovic like Lafondra um now are a couple years older and can't really drag them out of a hole as much um but yeah to only only one shot on target against a very poor Wanderers team um even though Pat won't give them any credit, they're, they're still <laughs> they're still not um, still not the best Wanderers team. I think says it all, really. Pat, um, yeah, I think the point that Lucas made about um, Barbarossa's kind of shifting Caceres out of midfield, I think that's a big thing because if you look at Sydney's arguably worst game of the season came against Central Coast Mariners when they were completely dominating all aspects of the park. And in that game, Caceres was in the middle and probably a bit like on Saturday night, he was completely anonymous. So I think I am a bit surprised that Corrick opted to move Caceres from the wide midfield spot where he's been actually very good for the team. A lot of the games that I've covered for Sydney FC, Caceres has really impressed me out wide. But I think we kind of talk about, oh, maybe it's just a bit of a rut they could get out of it. I feel like there was kind of some warning signs signs in stages last season. Now, obviously, they still did well enough to finish second, make the grand final, but I feel more they did so well just because the team, like all the other teams were just so poor last season. So I think if you think about a few of the games, I think the, the derby they lost last season, the 3-2 derby in May last year, I think that was a sign of the, a lot of the struggles we've kind of seen this season. I think it's just that, it's just a simple fact is Sydney FC have been one of, if not the dominant team for the last five, six years since Arnie came in. I think it's just a time, you know, I think their cycle is complete. I think if you look at the age of the squad, they've got so many players over 33, 32, 33 years old. I think they just need a bit of a rebuild, really. Dave, I'd imagine you'd be pretty happy with uh, Sydney's cycle being complete. <laughs> Yeah, it's about time, isn't it? Um, the Killbots uh, are finally uh, being destroyed. Um, and look, I think what we're seeing here is the net effect of what has happened. You know, they've been so solid and well organised on and off the park that prior to COVID, they had signed up a lot of their squad for extended periods while other clubs, mine included, really had that opportunity to hit the reset button during and after, well, around that sort of pandemic period. So Sydney have committed themselves to a squad from a salary cap perspective. Uh, and, yeah, as Patrick's pointing out and Lucas pointed out as well, that you know some of them are very much on the wrong side of 30. And it's catching up to them now. Uh, and I think, yeah, what we're going to see is a decline. But th- like the other larger clubs within the league, they have the, I guess, resources to be able to you know, make sure that that reset isn't a lengthy one, if that makes sense. Pat, I just want to get back onto the Wanderers before we move on. Uh, you alluded to Mark Rodan's contract extension just uh, earlier, and of course he has signed a contract which the Wanderers, they say, it's going to keep him at the club until the end of the 23-24 season. Not sure they should be making those kind of promises just yet to the public at this stage, but uh, do you think he's deserved that contract extension? Look, it, it was, as I, as I alluded to, as I, yeah, to make a long answer short, probably not. I mean, six games where you've only won two of them. I just, I, the, the, as much as Rudin 
in the pre-match press conference before the announcement was made, he, he very much alluded to the improvement, the way the top side was playing, even in their losses. But I, I, at the time, I didn't really think that was enough to warrant that. Now, obviously, the, the, the Saturday's victory has at least shown that, okay, he, there is something of an impact there. If that can be produced on a consistent basis, of course, then that is a positive sign. But that, I still think it was too early to give that contract extension. And I think another thing that is worrying a lot of Wanderers fans is that um, Paul Lederer made it very clear that Rudin was being given total control of the footballing department. Now, a big bone of contention. You've probably heard me rant, rant about it about 500 times on this podcast but I think, and in my articles, but I think that um, a director of football is something that most, if not all, Wanderers fans want. So there's a little bit... There's a little bit of apprehension, maybe, that it appears that is not going to be the case under Rudin. But, I mean, he's got the contracts now. I mean, I assume that gives him the freedom to really start planning properly for next season without the, I guess, the danger of the axe being swung unless they lose every single game from here on and finish last. But it's going to be very interesting. Obviously, there have been improvements to an extent, even in the games they've lost, there's been segments of them improving. But I think it's going to be an interesting one to watch how this all unfolds. Lucas? Um, yeah, I think that win on Saturday was massive for Rudin, especially considering the announcement on the Friday. If they were to then have lost the derby on the Saturday, I think the, the pressure already would have felt a lot. And I, I, I think the, the vibe around the club would be very different. I, th- I think at least now... That should give him at least a few weeks um, of respite, not even like he was going to get sacked that quickly or anything like that, but just in terms of sort of being able to work out this team to an extent. Um, I, I know I for one was devastated because I was very much looking forward to a, a, a brutal rant from Pat if, uh, they, <laughs> if they lost the derby. Um, but in general, it's just a bold decision considering we know how – much the culture has been a, a, an issue we've touched on with with Western Sydney. And then Mark Mark Rudin, I don't think anyone's going to laud him. Obviously, allegedly, blah, 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 we know. But I don't think even taking away any rumours or anything, you can't look at his track record and say he's created a great culture at every, every club he's been at, been at. So I don't know. I think it's a very bold decision for a club in the state in the situation they're in at the moment. Um, if it pays off, they're going to look great. But to me, it's 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 bold and we'll see how it goes. Dave? Yeah, surely, surely you um, put the carrot out there of finals football uh, with the squad that mm. the Wanderers have assembled, you know, excellent midfield. Tom Ahmed, we know what he can offer up at this level. Uh, defensively, there's a good blend of experienced players and young players coming through. I think in the situation that the Wanderers were in, the smart play would have been to sort of put it to the end of the season and and then reassess. But obviously, you know, I don't know what's going on within the inner sanctum there, but uh, time will tell. But I agree that, you know, with all the caveats around allegedly and, and so, so on that uh, others have outlined, like, He's everywhere he seems to go, he leaves a stink, um, you know, and dissatisfaction and um, disgruntled people uh, left behind. That's that's the word around town. So, yeah, uh, well, let's watch this space. <laughs> <laughs> uh, 
The Wanderers uh, following that game, they sit in ninth, uh, but they're just three points off Sydney in sixth. So there's a big logjam around that kind of area of the table. But we do have to move on because this is going to this is going to go for about two hours if we keep going <laughs> at this kind of pace. So moving from the Wanderers' victory uh, on Saturday night to Dave, your victory on Friday night, three one against Macarthur, uh, looked to be one of their best performances for a long time. The Melbourne victory, yeah, on balance, the most complete performance we've put out this season. Could argue that the three nil. Uh, at home uh, in round two against Brisbane was up there as well. But I think what we saw on Friday was a, a case of a master uh, outgunning the apprentice with Popovich outcoaching Milicic on multiple levels. I think we set up against them in a way that largely nullified their fairly potent attacking third. I was pretty apprehensive coming into this game. You know, the Bulls seemed to have turned a corner. Devere was back after his layoff and... Janu had started to trouble the score sheet. But um, we lost them. Uh, I think they mustered three shots the entire game. Uh, and, you know, um, I think the style of play in this particular game, there was a noticeable tweak in our build-up play that I feel was engineered to provide D'Agostino with the best kind of service and the kind of player he is. And I think he suits the Popovich system better than our Italian import, Marjotta. So, yeah, even though that first goal was the result of an error, um, you know, and the second one was a a bit of a a scramble that resulted in it, I felt like we had their measure. And it's telling for me that it was the first game of the season where our first choice wingers in Rojas and Economides started the game together. Mm. You alluded to Nick D'Agostino there, Lucas. I want to uh, talk to you about Nick D'Agostino. He's only started six times for the victory this season. He's scored six goals. Very, very impressive. Equal fourth highest goal scorer in the league. And yeah, he's just looking excellent, isn't he? Yeah, I think we've touched on victory a few times this season, how the embarrassment of Riches up front, they've just got so many players that at any other club in the league just about would be would be stars. And D'Agostino has shown that he's got ability. It'd be great if he can sort of embed himself and make sure and keep himself fit and make sure he's, he's, he's starting every, every week because uh, I think he's, he's shown and he's shown in his time. Um, but the Oli Roos in the past as well, that, he, that he's got quality. Um, and I think having players like that, I think Victory in a very good spot, to be honest, at the moment because we've spoken about that. They haven't really fitted... Um, They've really reached the the best of their cap, of their capabilities, but they're still not completely out of reach. Um, and if they are to get a home final, which I'm sure they will, I don't think there's any team in the league that would back playing them in a final series. So I think if they can sort of hit their mojo and play more like they did on the weekend on a more regular basis, I think they're going to be right up there. Losing team that game, though, of course, MacArthur Bulls, I find it... Very hard to assess them. Tom Tom Williams of this parish, uh, they ca- calls him Fugazi, but they've probably also got their plaudits somewhere. Not sure who they are, but they've probably got some plaudits somewhere. Pat, how do you rate MacArthur? Well, if we're talking just about this game, they were pretty bloody awful. They had zero shots, full stop in the first half, and I think some maybe, I don't have an exact number, but not too many on target as a whole. I mean, obviously their goal came from a 
another Kelleva mistake, but they were just pretty poor all night. And obviously, as you know, our, our good friend Tom Williams will happily tell you, Milicic does not play exciting football. Maybe that's a nice way to put it. But I think when a side sets up, like if you set up your side like Milicic does to be more defensively solid, you get to kind of hope that you actually will deliver on that promise. And their defence... It's not the worst defence in the league this season so far, but they've conceded 22 goals, which is kind of about middle of the road. And if you're going to sacrifice attacking flair, especially with the plays you have, such as Davia and Craig Noon, you've got to hope that you have one of the best defences in the league, and they just don't. And obviously, you know, the, the first two goals in particular they conceded on Friday were just poor. It was a mistake from Sujanar, and they just haven't dealt with the second ball coming in for that second goal. So... Look, they're not in a bad spot on the table. I believe they're kind of around fourth or fifth or something. But they're just—it's hard to get—it's hard to get a read on them because one week they might beat the Wanderers or Adelaide by a decent score, and then the next week they play like they did on Friday, or they lose three-one to Brisbane. There's just—it's—it's it's difficult to get a read as to whether this Milicic defensive football—it's either genius at work or just a joke. Yeah, Melbourne Victory are fifth. They're, uh, they played 13 games. MacArthur played 14. They're fourth. But uh, this is absolutely beautiful. They've scored 22, conceded 22, and they're on 22 points. Absolutely love that. <laughs> Dave, uh, when Pat uh, mentioned Ivan Kalava there, you were shaking your head. I think like most Victory fans probably were. <laughs> Tom delivered a spectacular rant uh, on Ivan Kalava a couple of weeks ago with a few uh, profanities laid in there. Have you got something that can match that? Yeah, look, um, being of Croatian extraction myself, I find it hard to um, go completely bananas at old mate Ivan. However, it's time for him to have a a spell, I feel. Um, We've seen it across the league uh, in recent weeks, but I think most victory fans, uh, patience has well and truly run out even before this game. Um, Yes, he managed a clean sheet against the Mariners the week before, but there's just something about him in terms of his positioning sometimes that really gets you worried any time that there's, uh, you know, an aerial ball in. His distribution leaves a lot to be desired as well, and he just seems like he has concrete boots sometimes as well. And, look, our sympathy uh, on our podcast for him has run out now, uh, and this is after the club involved us in his announcement of his arrival to the league, um, which was great. And he's a character. He's absolute champion. But he, yeah, it's time for Matt Acton to get a go at it. Uh, if anything, just to perhaps send a rocket up Calabar to lift his game a little because he's got the experience, he's got that the, the pedigree, but, yeah, it's just not translating to good performances on the park. Moving on, uh, Perth Glory, they played at home for the first time uh, since November, but they lost 2-1 to Adelaide. Uh, I'm obliged to ask Lucas about all the Adelaide games, so uh, I'll talk to you about this one. Mo Toure's goal, uh, got to say, that, that was the absolute definition of sneaking it past the keeper. Was that How much of an awful mistake was that by um, Cameron Cook, I think it was, the sub-keeper, and how much yeah. of it was a, a good finish, a tidy finish? Yeah, I think I think it was a fantastic goal, but not for the finish. I think the run was excellent, and Mohamed's so good at that. I remember one against Victory, uh, the one where he scored the winner in that game. He ran a, in the length of the pitch on the eastern side of Highmarsh um, in a similar way. Um, but, yeah, I think it was 
bit more of a goalkeeper mistake. But it's good to see him finally getting back on the score sheet. I think um, with after what happened with Al Hassan and he sort of dropped off and sort of couldn't hit the heights that he did when he first broke through. I've been a bit worried this season if Mohammed's going to go down a similar route. Uh, from what I've heard about him, he seems to have a very good attitude and a much better attitude. Not saying that Al Hassan's got a terrible attitude by any means, but that Mohammed works very, very hard. Um, as a whole, it was really good seeing Perth back uh, back at home. I actually think the fact that it was a Sunday afternoon game and that they couldn't end up having the, the big homecoming crowd they would have probably expected to really favour Adelaide because um, it seemed like there was a bit less pressure um, and a bit less – it was a bit less of a cauldron than, say, if it was a, a Friday or Saturday night game. Um, but, uh, yeah, we, we continue to roll on. Quite achiever of the league uh, up in third. To be honest, I thought it was a foul not, um, for the first goal for Ibisuki's goal. Um, but he continues to score and he's showing that he's probably already up there, even though he's only played a few games with Adelaide United's best ever strikers because that might sound like I'm being over the top, but we've only had about two good ones. So I think he's already already putting himself up there. Yeah, he's really got a knack for being in the right place at the right time, doesn't he? But speaking of strikers, on the Perth glory side of things, Dave, Daniel Sturridge is still not played more than 30 minutes in a, any match all season. He's injured at the moment. He's going to be out for another couple of weeks at least. So are we allowed to start lambasting him as a, a crap signing? Send him home, Harper. Um, <laughs> time's up. Uh, look, I mean, yeah, the fanfare that was created off the back of his arrival was amazing. Um, and just the sort of tonic that the league needed heading into this new era at the time, it's so unfortunate that it that it's panned out this way. But many Liverpool and other sort of fans of other clubs he's played at would have told you or warned you about uh, his fragility, and we've seen that pretty much throughout. Um, that last game came on, missed that sitter, and then what was it? His groin? Uh, his groin, yeah. <laughs> within ten minutes or so of coming on the park, so. I mean, if I'm to take my glasses off, <clears throat> I'm just kind of shattered for, for Perth and the league that we haven't been able to uh, really leverage his star power uh, in, a, in a season that really needed a few extra things of that sort of level because we, in terms of getting that mainstream penetration, the A-League really needs some of the star power that a name like Sturridge brings. And if he's not on the park, then what's the point? So, look, we can hope, but at this stage, it's looking like a bust, really. Yeah, not much has really gone right for anything for him and Perth this whole season. But, Pat, what do you make of the whole situation? Look, I think Dave was right. Objectively speaking, it has been a bust because he hasn't played, he hasn't played at all, hasn't scored a goal. So it hasn't worked, but I think the thing is for Perth and for Sturridge, so many circumstances have been out of their control that have contrived to just not help the issue. Obviously, given Perth's border rules, he arrived very late in pre-season, so it meant he was, it took him a while to get going. And then as soon, pretty much as soon as he got fit, Perth had that COVID drama where then they couldn't play for about, they got stuck in Brisbane, then they had to 
move home for Christmas. And then after all that COVID drama and obviously so many games being called off in December, January, it was about six weeks that Perth hadn't played. So then, if, and then by that point, your yeah, fitness and all that, it's all just going to be shattered by then. And as unfortunately we've just seen, he just has not been able to get going because he finally gets up to fitness. He can't play. He gets a bit on and then he's, as much as we were so hoping that he wouldn't be injured too much, it seems that he just it hasn't worked out for him, whether it's the rush pre-season, he hasn't been able to shake it off, but it's just unfortunately the Sturridge, the issues that have made Sturridge maybe not reach his potential on a European stage, it's hampered his Australian journey. Yeah, from from one team that's been on the road all season to a team that's been on the road for their whole existence in Ballarat, Western United beat the Newcastle Jets two one. Uh, they're top of the table uh, by three points. They've got a game in hand on Melbourne City as well. Melbourne City in second. They're looking very ominous at the moment. So, Pat, I'll put this question from Twitter to you from Connor Payne. Not not the not that one that you're thinking of, but uh, are Western United the best team in the league? He asks. Uh, They've certainly been the most consistent team this season, quite a very obvious statement. It's it's funny, though. Their squad, at the st- before the start of the season, their squad was very good. I think they, the way they recruited, they have quite a good all-around squad. But certainly my concerns around them, and potentially others on the panel, I'm not too sure, but my concerns were surrounding John Aloisi. I thought that he wasn't really going to be able to release the best of them. I thought maybe bottom of the finals, like fifth or sixth. I certainly didn't think they'd be top of the table in the clear, but they've just been, it's their defence. They've considered 12 goals all season. That is by far and away the best of the comp. They're, they're so hard to beat. You know, Lacroix and Top of Stanley, they're unbreakable. Top of Stanley rolling back the years to his, potentially his Wanderers days. But then up front, they've got just enough, quality in Diamante to kind of break games open. They've got someone like Prijevic who is good enough just to get that one or two goals they need. Because their defence is so good, they just need that one chance. And Prijevic is that kind of striker that will be able to profit from that. So it's working really, really well. Best team, for me, I think if we're talking about teams, which is the best team when they're at their best, I still think that's Melbourne City because their attack and their depth is just on – another level, but they just haven't been consistent this season. So, yeah. Dave, have you got anything to add to that? Look, um, Western United have had the issue of being that travelling band of nomads, you know, since their inception. And what we've noticed is that the wheels start to fall off as the season gets older. That hasn't happened yet, but they travel more, obviously, um, because of the the fact that they don't have that home ground in place. And look, they're not relying on on Diamante to the extent they have in, in seasons gone. So yeah, I'm I'm not as surprised with Aloisi's results so far. I think he's often talked about negatively because of what happened um, at Melbourne City, but I think if you look at his record at Raw, it wasn't terrible. Um, I think, you know, he's had enough experience now in the A-League to sort of learn from his mistakes as well, and that's and we're seeing that, and he's, he's 
absolutely putting putting them out on the park in in you know in, and not playing terribly complicated football, but just getting those results. Um, I do think it will start to to dip a little bit. Um, but look, I mean, the two bookends, Priovic and and Lacroix, Lacroix, Lacroix. Uh, it, you, you can't. Um, dispute that at the moment they're probably the, the two most impressive imports that have come in this season um, in their respective positions. So, yeah, I, I'm, I'm surprised a little bit, but not completely surprised. It's just interesting to see how they, if they can sustain it over the course of the season. I think um, just on Aloisi, say if Viet were to not be at the club next season and we had the pick of any manager in the league, I'm trying to think of anyone outside of maybe obviously Tony Popovich. Outside of that, I'd rather John Aloisi as, as my coach than Steve Corica. Um So, I, 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 yeah, I've I've always thought he was, he was a good manager. Melbourne Heart were a basket case when he was there, but they were a basket case from a lot of years until they got any money in until they became Melbourne City. So, and it, and he had a few good seasons there as well. Um, I think with Western United, what uh, it shows is the difference, say, if you compare them to the Wanderers, the difference between recruiting good players and recruiting good players for your team. They have a very balanced squad, and especially from last year where, like uh, like David said, uh, they were heavily reliant on Diamante. Now he's had a few games where he hasn't been able to play as much, and they're still able to get by because they've got quality throughout the pitch. Yeah, they're, they're looking very, very good at the moment. And Leo Lacroix, what, what a magnificent player he is. He's so good. Brace on uh, Saturday. I think that game was just, yeah, I love him. But Dave, uh, Central Coast, they beat Brisbane 2-1 uh, on Saturday in Gosford. Did you take anything out of this game other than Brisbane's away kit looking a lot like Western Sydney Wanderers' home kit, which bugs me a lot? Yeah, so look, I think Central Coast, there's a – must have been a big relief for them to finally get a result. Uh, they haven't been playing bad, but they just haven't been able to sort of see out results and they've been conceding late goals and and just had a lot of bad luck, really. I think you know, Cummings and his arrival has, has sort of resulted in them having just a different dynamic. And Benny Nincolo, uh, Nincolo, Colalo, it's, it's a tough one, that one. Something like um, that. Yeah. Look, it, it, he scored, I think, roughly three goals in the last sort of four games or so. So, look, I think um, Brisbane, you know, the stocks are certainly uh, diminishing at the moment. Uh, I mean, it's taken this long. Uh, Juan Lescano to, to get on the score sheet. I, I think he may have popped in one before this before this game. But, you know, if you're bringing in an import striker, you want a, a greater impact. And, yeah, they're, they're struggling at the moment. So, look... Um, I think plucky little Central Coast Wanderers, Central Coast Wanderers, Central Coast Mariners just keep on um, surprising us. And, yeah, they, I think Montgomery uh, should be applauded for, for the results. Uh, in terms of not so much the results, but the performances that we've seen in, in, in recent weeks and yeah, finally got some reward uh, with that win. Pat? Uh, yeah, I agree that um, I've been quite impressed by what Montgomery's done with the team, especially given the players and all that they lost last season. But I'd just like to give, give a shout-out to Nikolai Muller. I believe he got his first goal of the season. 
And I think he was someone that was criminally underused at the Wanderers, especially last season where we lacked so much creativity. When he came on, he obviously was just that kind of class above. He just had that quality. But I believe there were rumours he didn't get on too much with Carl Robinson. And, and it's probably taken him a little while to get into it at the Mariners. I think he had a lot of injury problems to start the season, but it's great to see him finding some form. And it's obviously good for the Mariners because I believe they were about five, six games or something without a win. So it's timely that players like Nikolai Muller are hitting their straps. Mm. Must say, uh, his goal from a free kick deflected in off uh, the head of Jay O'Shea. I f- found that quite funny. It was very, it was a big old deflection there. But the last game that we were meant to cover uh, from the weekend just gone, Wellington versus Melbourne City. Uh, that game got postponed uh, because of a, a quite muddy pitch. So I'm going to ask Kick 360's uh, chief meteorological analyst Pat Rochetto, uh, you're in Sydney, mate. Just how rainy has this rain been? It has been absolutely pissing down. Like you would not believe. I think the last, it pretty much all of last week it rained. I think we had to up to where I'm living and pretty much all over Sydney. I think we had up to 150 millimeters in a day, and there was uh, there was a couple of days of quiet. But I think yesterday, obviously, when the game was supposed to take place, we had a lot of rain yesterday. It's been raining a lot again today. So um, yeah, I'm not surprised. Unlike Ian Pulzinski, I am unsurprised and unannoyed that the game was called off. Yeah, uh, you could probably say it coming with that weather all week. And yeah, that was a very, very muddy field, wasn't it? Muddy pitch over there. But uh, Lucas, Sydney FC and Melbourne City, Melbourne Victory, sorry, they both kick off their Asian Champions League campaigns uh, in the next week, within the next week. So Twitter question for you from Tommy, who's at uh, Tommy A. Uh, how well will City, Sydney and Victory do in the ACL? Um, well, it's a hard one because obviously in recent years we – Unfortunately, haven't seen any of our teams um, go as far um, as we would have liked, and as and as we've seen in the past, I think there's a, there is a growing gap between ourselves and other teams in Asia, and I think the format of the competition, uh, especially last season, didn't help um, all that much. Um, I would say Sydney have the advantage of. The, the fact that they've been there and done it a few times before, they know they know what it's like playing in Asia, uh, whereas uh, like City, for example, maybe don't have that uh, that level of experience. Of course, I think the, the qualifiers for, for Sydney this week? Tomorrow. Yeah, they're, they're yeah tomorrow night, 7.30. At Filipino side tomorrow. As you can see, i am I'm got the finger on the pulse here. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, but yeah, uh, I think um, yeah, this uh, you'd, you'd hope they'd win that. Um, Alan Stage has just shown that there's a lot of ability in Filipino football, of course, in, with his management of the of the women's side. But you'd hope Sydney are going to hit them for six a bit. Um, but yeah, I, to be honest, I don't back any of our sides to go deep into the competition. Just. For the simple fact, I think that, that gap is getting bigger and what we saw Western Sydney do, um, obviously winning it, and then what we saw Adelaide do in the early years of the competition, getting to the final and having a few good runs, um, I think that's getting harder and harder to repeat. 
Yeah, uh, for sure, 100% agree with you there. And uh, for Sydney, uh, they've potentially got two qualifying rounds. First one coming up, uh, they're going to play Kaya Ilo Ilo from the Philippines, like we were talking about before, uh, 7.30 uh, p.m. Sydney time on Tuesday. And the, the victory and the next week, Tuesday the 15th, 9 p.m. Melbourne time, they're going to head to Japan to play uh, Andres Iniesta and Vissel Kobe. Um, so oh, just quickly, Dave, uh, what, what do you think about that game? Do you harbour much hope? Oh, look, a little bit. This road ahead for us uh, at the moment is quite challenging. Uh, something like six days, six games in in twenty odd days, culminating culminating in that clash against Vissel Kobe. Uh, before I jump into that, though, it is quite funny that uh, we finished last last season, and here we are playing in the uh, Asian Champions League in a qualifier. Though it has to be said, look, um, Vissel Kobe aren't in great nick at the moment. Um, I think. I don't have it off the top of my head, but roughly like three draws, uh, two losses is the last time I checked. So I'm hoping, and the rest of us here in Victoria are hoping that that poor run continues and we get them while they're in this little slump. I think in the lead-up to the FFA Cup win, Raymark San was incredibly important to the way our midfield functioned. And... He today, as luck would have it, came back to full training. So I think he's an important cog in that midfield. It allows Josh Berlante uh, and Jake Brimmer to do their thing and and really sort of he's that glue between the midfield and defence for us at the moment. So, look, I'm not that confident. We've won in Asia once before in our entire history, and we've been in that competition many times uh, over many seasons. So that gives you an indication of uh, how difficult it is to go to a country like Japan and take away all three points. So, yeah, not super confident, but having said that, on our day at the moment, we have a squad that is capable. Um, there's some really good youngsters that, you know, we've talked about D'Agostino, but a guy like Ben Falami, you know, this is his opportunity in a game like this. And with Economides coming back in full fitness and, and starting now, um, I'm not going to rule this out completely. Um, yeah, just on um, like victory's lack of success in Asia, a lot of the times when uh, Adelaide was successful in Asia, victory were also in the competition. Why do you think that? Is that just a lack of – because for I think for Adelaide, the Champions League was always massive – and a lot of people I know look at that as the golden period of of the club mm, when mm. there were massive crowds. Is it just like that it hasn't embedded into the history of the club? Um, there's a bit of that. I think in the early years of the Asian Champions League, I don't think it's at the fan level, but I think the club didn't quite invest in it uh, emotionally to begin with, and that that changed. You know, I think there's that famous quote from Kevin Musket when in, in you know, one of his final years as a player talking about how you know, they're just not as uh, interested in the competition. Um, and, and so, yeah, I think that has certainly changed. And, you know, we've made it out of the group stage twice uh, in, in our history, which isn't to be scoffed at. You know, we've, we've had some great results over the years too, you know, Guangzhou Evergrande you know, and um, up against Mar- Marcello Lippi's side here. You know, we managed to, to knock them off as well. But, um, yeah, it's just we've always seemed to fall short. Uh, look, 
I think it's certainly now something, particularly under Anthony DiPietro and, you know, he's not that long ago uh, bringing Keske Honda to the club. Uh, There's been a a, a refocus of our orientation in terms of uh, prioritising the Asian Champions League. But, yeah, it's it's hard to um, motivate people for midweek games. I don't know what it's like in Adelaide in terms of numbers of you know, crowd numbers, but... There's not much to do here anyway. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, don't sell yourself shorts, mate. It's great to come come to Adelaide for, for a weekend. Uh, that's that's about it, though. But, um, <laughs> um, yeah, look, I, I, I'm just hoping that we, um, you know, go over there and give it all we've got. Uh, obviously, everyone's talking about Iniesta... But um, you know he's an old man now, and um, you know this is uh, this is a young man's game, just like uh, this podcast. But um, yeah, that that I if we manage to knock them off, then you know who, who knows what happens after that. But got to get over them first. Pat, well, I think it's interesting that I kind of feel like just hearing your explanations, it, it sounds like we could be in for a repeat. I think in. 2017, when I think Brisbane had a similar qualifier, they had to go away to Shanghai, Shenhua, and this was back in the heyday of the Chinese Super League, when I think they had Carlos Tevez, the most expensive player in the world, a host of other players. No one, no one expected them to win. I think they knocked them knocked them over two nil in China. So maybe we could see a repeat of that. I don't know. Just more to never, never count out Aussie sides because they can occasionally pull something out. Moving to some other international affairs, uh, footballing international affairs, Ange Postecoglou is Celtic. They're due to uh, play Rangers in Sydney just before the World Cup later on this year in 2022. It's caused a bit of controversy uh, among the fans of both Celtic and Rangers. So we've got a special guest now uh, from the podcast Celtic, The Unrestricted View, Ryan Clifford. He's here with us now. Thanks very much for joining us, Ryan. How are you? No, it's, it's a pleasure to be here, Harper. Uh, no, thanks a lot, mate. I'm fine. Um, as, I, as I said before we come on, it's early in the morning in Glasgow, so it's, um, I'm a bit tired, but it's glad to be on, mate. Thank you. Oh, mate, it's an absolute pleasure to have you on the show. You're here, of course, to talk to us about Celtic playing Rangers in Sydney on November the 20th. But first, we were talking on the podcast just earlier about which Avengers superhero each of the panellists would be. So first question for you, Ryan, which Avengers superhero would you want to be? That's that's not my topic, Harper. Um, (laughs) Avengers... I really don't know. It's no. I'm being honest with you. I'm a bit of a downer on this topic. I don't really know much about that, mate. Film and stuff isn't my topic. But ask me about football, then I'm your man. <laughs> Absolutely fair enough, mate. Makes sense. But onto the football now. Your expert topic, of course. There's been a bit of controversy uh, from what we've heard around Celtic playing Rangers outside Scotland for the first time ever. Is it a bit of a media beat up, or are fans are they truly angry? Um, it's been a bit of a, I was saying 90% it's been quite angry to be honest with you Harper um, it's not really the fact that, it's more the fact that um, over here they're putting kind of money before the fans opinion because um, obviously it, I think it'd be good for the, the series to obviously see Celtic Rangers play because they can't always see the games over here so I can totally get that perspective but from a perspective from well Celtic fans anyway it's because it's it's too much of a rivalry for it to be a friendly I think that's the thing it's not really a what I would 
us as a family match. Okay, that's interesting. So why is Celtic versus Rangers different to, obviously it's super, super passionate, but why is it different to another passionate rivalry like Man United, Liverpool or something like that? I think it's mainly due to the it's religion, hatred. It's, it's very... It's not just about the football, it's everything else about the game. So, because um, even I watched the Manchester Derby yesterday and compared to Celtic Rangers, the Glasgow Derby, it's absolutely nothing compared to it. The atmosphere, the hatred and some fans down south sitting next to each other. That wouldn't happen up here. That just, it's just a no-no. So, um, I think it's well, obviously Celtic board are thinking it's, it's commercialised. It's more money and it'll help the club money-wise and they might obviously get more fans in Australia but I think a lot of times we complain about we go over to different countries and friendlies and we travel a lot in Europe that we're playing too many games away from home and it's a lot of travelling but then the border that sits in a friendly away in Australia in November it's a bit crazy but from a Australian perspective I think it's a fantastic game for them um, they might see some maybe good standard of players coming over to play that they can't really see because obviously you stay in Australia so I think for a, an Australian perspective it's a fantastic tournament it's a fantastic match and obviously the main man Andrew's coming back home to see his, his fans Yeah and just before we get on to the main man Andrew are we allowed to call it the old firm when it's being played in Sydney? <laughs> <laughs> you can call it what you want mate but over here it's the Glasgow Derby <laughs> oh right, because that's because Rangers uh, lick, went into liquidation ten years ago, isn't it? They still they still can't accept the fact that happened, mate. But yeah, that happened. <laughs> <laughs> right, right. And Ryan, one last thing for you. I just want you to tell me how much you love Ange Postecoglou because it just seems like he is a god over there at the moment. Yeah, mate. He's he's come in and transformed the club. Um, obviously, the starter. The start of the season, he had a big rebuild to come in and I don't know if any other manager could have come in and signed so many players, got everybody as a club together, the fans together and everything for me is just, it's came together and it's come together at the right time. Um, his philosophy is the way I want football to play, just attack, go for goal, everything that Celtic is all about. But obviously you've got to defend as well, but he's starting to learn for me the defensive side of the game at Celtic and I think over here in Glasgow we're very confident that if we keep going the way we're going we will win trophies under range and especially this season considering where we came from last season to being three points ahead now it's very very positive and again he's he's kind of got his back on track on winning trophies for a bad season last year um, I can't really say much bad about him to be honest with you he's been really really good for us yeah, it's been like that in Australia for a long time. It's good to see that sentiment spreading all across the world. But Ryan Clifford, that's about all I've got for you. So thanks very much for jumping on. Have a lovely day. No, again, if it happens anytime, mate, thanks for your time. And obviously, take care, keep safe, and uh, hell, hell. Cheers. Pat, have you got any thoughts on Celtic and Rangers coming to Sydney yourself? Oh, I just think that it's not going to be very... Interesting. I know that some people on Twitter have been saying, you know, obviously we know that the old firm, when it's in Scotland and fighting for league titles and cups and the like, is one of the most fierce rival football rival sport rivalries, I should say. But I just don't think that's going to transport to down under in Sydney. And I just don't think 
I'm, I honestly don't think that the sporting public outside of football fans is really going to appreciate that. They're just going to see two Scottish teams that they've probably like just barely heard of. And it's like, there's no, and there's also Postacoglu as well, but same thing outside of football circles, how much is Postacoglu really known? So I think, I just don't think it's going to create that interest. That's just more me being cynical and generally against friendlies like this where teams come from Europe just for a bit of a bit of money. I just I really hope it's not played at ANZ because I genuinely worry that if it's played at ANZ it'll be no more than 30,000, 40,000 people and when it's at ANZ it looks absolutely terrible. But mind you, I think the new Sydney Football Stadium will be open by then so I'm thinking that they might just use that. And if there's 30,000 at the new SFS, that's better. But still, just on the whole, I'm, I think that I'm got very dim views on the whole them coming down the big fanfare and Ange coming down the big fanfare and just this tournament they're trying to make out of it with the Wanderers and Sydney FC as well. It just all seems a bit meh to me. Yeah. You know, it's a bit of a concern when the Scottish people don't like it and the Aussies don't like it, but would you be tempted to go yourself, Pat? I'd cover it. I'd, I'd, I'd go in the press box. I'd get a free <laughs> ticket. <laughs> that's, that's the wogging me. I'll never pass down a free a free ticket or something. But, oh, I'd, I'd, TBA, we'll, we'll, we'll cross that bridge when we get to it, hey? Yeah, we'll see how it goes. But moving on from the current news, Dave, you, of course, you host the, the biggest fan podcast in the land, in the A-League, for fuck's sake, of course. Uh, so can we rewind the clock a bit? Can you tell us how it came about, how long ago it was? Yeah, happy to do that, Harper. So, look, it was really a, a podcast born out of the terraces. Um, you know, it started off with just you know, the pub discussions that we all have, you know, in, in before and after games and just uh, had the little light bulb moment where Jason and I just thought, well, you know, how about we actually, you know, transplant this into some form of podcast? And I guess um, I'm, I'm, you know, I've been following what you guys at Kick360 have been doing and you're all young lads either, you know, still at uni or doing your journalism hard hard yards, you know, in early stages of your career. So, for me, you know, I was roughly your ages when the A-League started, you know, so this was before social media really took off, before podcasts were really a thing. So I think what we had then was, you know, MySpace and, you know, the early days of Facebook and before it became a juggernaut. And so, yeah, the, the landscape changed very much you know, during that sort of mid to sort of late noughties, if you like. And so obviously we know about podcasts now and, and all of that. So, yeah, it literally was a case of us trying to bottle um, the banter. we never taken ourselves too seriously and we've never sort of pretended that we're experts or anything like that. We literally just did it for fun and we thought no one was actually going to listen, <laughs> particularly after the first couple of episodes. And But thankfully, um, yeah, we had a really good community that was sort of built out of that sort of first seven, eight, nine years at Melbourne Victory and... 
we had quite a few people uh, crowdfund us in those early days to get things like this microphone and bits and pieces to you know host things, and it just grew, and a community grew out of out of it as well. We now have a you know a Discord that's you know more than 150 people or so on there that you know contribute um, week or every podcast that we make. Uh, so it's it's crowdfunded, and you know we myself, Jace, Marty, and Clarky, we literally do it um, as a passion project. So we have day jobs. Yeah, three of us have, have kids as well, and we just keep doing it. We're into our seventh season now. So I'll tell you, the last couple of seasons, it it was a graft because of how shit we were. Um, and look, that's what football is. You, you have to realize that obviously that you know it's not all going to be. Um, you're not at the top forever, uh, and and that's totally uh, totally fine. But it did make podcasting a very hard thing to do when you have to front up each week and talk about how poor the team was, but not just on the field, but just the way the club was run at the time. But you know, I actually think that there's been a, a shift in orientation to, and this isn't this isn't just from our podcast perspective, but I think clubs and sporting clubs organisations football and outside of football are now starting to realise that fan media is a real thing and starting to leverage often the club really sort of changed its tune in relation to us. Like we're still fiercely independent and, you know, we'll, we'll, we'll call a spade a spade when we have to, uh, like we will with Yvonne Kelliver this week. But, um, you know, it's, it's just one of those things that um, I think that clubs are starting to see the value of. So, yeah, it's, it's fan made. Uh, we we do it in our spare time, um, and you know it's it's as I said a passion project. So, yeah, look, um, I don't know if we're the biggest. We might be. Um, probably comes with the um, sort of territory or the numbers of, of the league as a whole in terms of members and and followers and so forth. But yeah, like we we really love um, the fact that we're literally just built by a community and, and, and maintained by that community. So yeah. Um, if you do like your podcast, we are worth listening to because as I said, we don't take ourselves too seriously. There's a lot of banter and um, yeah, a lot of piss taking and, you know, just general football talk outside of Melbourne victory as well. So yeah, thanks for giving uh, me the platform this evening, gentlemen. Oh, mate, absolute pleasure. And thank you very much for coming on. We've really enjoyed chatting to you. But a couple more things I want to touch on yep. FBS-wise. Uh, obviously, it's the audience has exploded um, probably just more and more as the years have gone on. Is there a pressure, because you guys self-confess, you're not experts, as you said. Is there a pres- pressure that comes with being so big and, I guess, in a way, being like the representative body of the fans? Because you guys have got massive influence within the club and its fan base. Yeah, look, um, I don't know that I'd call it pressure. Um, I think we've we've always tried to maintain a sense of being just fans, just like everyone else. So the fact that people do listen uh, and you know think that our opinions are worth taking on board is, is obviously a huge honour and it's quite humbling. But yeah, look, I've I've kind of reiterated many times uh, throughout our, you know, seven or eight years of, of doing this now that, you know, it's really, uh, we if we're, if we're being negative, it's, you know, it's because we love the club, um, you know, we want things to improve. And I think what we did see off the back of the, the poor, lean 
years of the last two years is that uh, quite a few of the things that we were talking about on the podcast ended up happening and manifesting within the club uh, in terms of the way in which they interacted with fans and the initiatives that were taken on board and there was a root and branch, complete reassessment of the football department all the way through to the coaching staff and everything. Like I'm sure you guys have followed followed it extensively and as to the the the, the radical nature of the change that's that's um happened in 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 the past 12 months or so since Popovich arrived and Caroline Carnegie took over as CEO and, and all the other things that have flowed on from that. So yeah to to come back to what you initially asked me earlier, I, I, I guess um yeah it's a privilege really is how I'd summarize it that that people uh, take time out in their week to listen to us nobodies for an hour uh, talk about uh, the football club they follow yeah it's absolutely awesome mate uh yeah lots and lots of people absolutely love your show uh lucas and pat they're not fans of the victory so they probably don't listen to it as much but i am and it's awesome stuff mate every week uh it's absolute must listen but for for lots of people uh maybe especially opposition fans um You've seen it with things like AFTV and all that. It's sometimes more entertaining to listen to your kind of show and uh, videos, whatever it is, when the team's no good, like Victory were in the last two seasons. And there are heaps of issues to dissect and talk about on the show. So if you don't mind me asking, how did the audience uh, in the last two years when the team was no good compared to the audience now when you are quite good? (laughs) Uh, how is our audience, as in in terms of the, the way they interact with us? Well, I think um, everybody wants their team to be winning and obviously things are much more buoyant and uplifting when they are. Uh, and I think what it does um, for, for real diehards of any football club is like what this season has done is really like you, you cherish and appreciate it given where you've come from, right? So it's it's that sense of like, you know, when when it's when you're at your at the depths that we were, um, it, it really starts to mean a lot more when you do eventually get back up there. Um, but I think um just to, the whole thing about you know, you mentioned AFT uh, Arsenal Fan TV and and things like that. I think you know you've touched on something um pretty important there media and you know social media it's like being a patron at like you know at a buffet or something you know these days people pick and choose what they want and um i think what a lot of people like is just the the less sanitized versions of news and opinions that are trotted out about the things that they like um and i think you know very often players and official channels and things like that. It can be sort of the stock standard yarns, the rehearsed talking points or media trained responses. So there definitely is a strong appeal for people who are invested in a football club um, to have people tell it as it is, you know, warts and all sometimes. Uh, So I think that that is certainly um, a value um, or, you know, adds value, I should say, to, to when fan media step into that place to to provide a voice and just finally uh obviously like we've mentioned you are getting bigger and bigger uh are there any goals targets that you want to hit and meet uh over the next few weeks months and years yeah um 
to be honest, Harper, you know what's going to be really good? To be able to actually um, do things as a podcast uh, with our community in person for the first time in a, in a couple of years. It's been a rough um, period down in, in Victoria. I know everyone's obviously had had issues with um, lockdowns and things like that, but you know, we've got some plans for um, our uh, community to you know, have a big end-of-season function and things like that. So we're really stepping it up in that regard. Got some good merch things as well happening. Uh, as far as targets go on the podcast itself, I think we want to keep bringing on guests that get the juices flowing for our listeners because people love hearing the insights of people, whether they are former people at the club or just people that they happen to be aware of. Um, our Ernie Merrick interview and our Danny Georgievsky interview earlier this season were some of the some of the better ones. I think if you manage to get ever talk to Danny Georgievsky, you'll know that you know he's a straight shooter, and he came uh, on the show a few weeks ago. Actually, it was a there you go. Yeah. So <laughs> he's he's just awesome, and and you know so things like that. I think we you know, we've had a long, long catalogue of like uh, interviews and guests on the show, but I think we just want to keep bringing new people uh, to it. It's uh, hard to sort of logistically juggle that outside of everything, or sorry, include when you got all other stuff going on in life but yeah that there's some of the things that we're sort of thinking about for this season and just you know keep doing what we're doing and hopefully have more positive things to talk about as the season progresses thanks very much for all your insights getting a little look behind the fs curtain there mate really appreciate it and that just about wraps us up for the whole show so dave first to you thank you very much for being our special guest tonight it's been awesome no, look, I really appreciate you guys reaching out. And as I said, I, I have kept my eye on on the Kick360 venture. And, you know, it's great to see the next generation of budding, you know, journalists and football fans, which you clearly all are, um, get out there and producing content and writing your articles and everything like that. Keep it up. Um, you know, it's, it's, uh, it's a great space to work in. And, yeah, look... That's all I can really say. And uh, you know, hopefully, hopefully this gets you the exposure and you know the the, the sort of uh, trajectory in your respective careers. Uh, thank you, Matt and Pat, uh, Mister Voice of the Youth. Thank you very much for joining <laughs> us uh, today. It's been good. Thank you very much, Harper. Lucas, uh, thank you as ever. Uh, you will probably see you uh, next week on Neil's episode, but I'll, I'll see you in a fortnight when you're on this one. Thanks, Harper, and I'd like to apologise. At, at the end of last week, I referred to you as the inferior podcast. <laughs> podcast, so. uh, That's all right, mate. It's don't, taken me a while, but I, 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 I forgive you. I, I believe in a fortnight's time, next time you're hosting, we'll be previewing Australia-Japan, if I'm correct. We will be, and uh, some of us Kick360 boys will be on the ground there, maybe not doing much reporting, but we will be there, which will be uh, a good time. <laughs> lots lots of drinking, so, lots of drinking, I believe. Uh, <laughs> uh, that's a bit unprofessional of you, Pat. We'll do a podcast out, on but, the source. <laughs> 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 yeah, Kick360 live from the pub. Um, but uh, that just about wraps us up for today, guys. So thank you very, very much for listening. As ever, Neil will be hosting next week. I'll be back in a fortnight. So see you then. Bye.